Welcome to State of America Chats. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of the State of America Chats. As always, my name is David, and I have my partner in crime, Mr. Ian Rice. Ian, how are you? I am doing lovely, sir. How are you? I am great. I am great. The second edition of our little uh, little bonus episode. I really enjoyed the first one and got a lot of good feedback from people. Yeah. Sur- I, I, well, surprisingly. I shouldn't say surprisingly, but uh, I just, you know, it's always nice when people uh, enjoy something that you that you put together, you know, especially something that's a little more impromptu like that, you know. A lot of, uh, a lot of Pink Floyd fans out there love the Pink Floyd talk. Yeah. Yeah, I look. I I saw a few people uh, remarking that uh, they also that that the uh, Pulse album was high up on their list as well. Oh, man, I just I, it blows my mind. Like they performed Dark Side of the Moon in its entirety. I mean, an encore of Wish You Were Here, Comfortably Numb, and Run Like Hell. I don't understand the fascination with Run Like Hell. Do you? Uh, I actually really like the song Run Like really? Hell. Really, I did. I like the. Um, the instrumental part of it, uh, you know, more so than maybe the lyrics, but uh, the, there's some really cool guitar in there. I don't know. I mean, I understand why they close with it because it's this big boombastic thing, and you know they can set off all the fireworks and the toys and bells and whistles. But um, just as, as a standalone song, it just never has done a whole lot for me. But are you a fan of the Wall? I, I was a tremendous fan of the Wall when I was much younger. You know, because I think the Wall really speaks to a, uh, a a teenage mind very well right uh, you know as an adult i don't go back to it too much i focus a lot more on a lot of the other pink floyd stuff that I, i've come to enjoy much more i don't know what about you um i mean i appreciate it but there's there's a decent amount of stuff on there i would just completely love but stuff at the end you know after you get past the show what the show must go on and waiting for the worms that's other stuff i could do without and then you know uh, I tell you a song though that like if you ever saw that uh, performed live, that would just give you goosebumps. Is when they do Vera into uh, Bring the Boys Back Home, and mm-hmm. on Bring the Boys Back Home, they're showing videos of parents surprising their children coming back from like Iraq and Afghanistan. Really? Yeah. On the um, when I when he did the wall uh, on the background, and I mean it was just really, it was really really moving. That's cool, yeah. I, I I mean, there's some you know on the wall. There's uh, there's a song, uh, no nobody's home. I think that's so sad. And, uh, I love that song, uh, and uh, you know, obviously, uh, goodbye blue sky is real great, and yeah, there's there's a lot of great moments on that. But um, you know, I probably unpopular opinion, but I think it would you know it could easily have been much better served being a a single disc, really solid album. And just just having straight songs, maybe not the concept, is right? Much. But you know, he just got you know once animal. Well, I mean, really, kind of dark side. All, everything dark side of the moon on was a concept album for him. Yeah, and I'm not knocking that at all because they are like the fathers of that that concept album, right? Concept. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, and you know, it's I don't know. It's just it's uh, not like the others. It doesn't hold up as well for me. Like dark side of the moon is eternal almost to me it's it's it will always hold up i always enjoy that album it sounds like it was recorded today yeah but i mean i don't get bored of it no uh, and i have to listen to it all the way through 
Um, Always. Yeah. I'm pretty much like that with all their albums. Except like, now I really like, on metal, I really like uh, One of These Days, Fearless, and um, Echoes. But like, once you get past that, like Animals, man, that's you got to listen to the whole thing. I just got that on vinyl the other day, the reissue. How's it uh, sound? I'm going to crack it open tonight. Oh, you got to let me know because I've been, been batting back and forth picking that up. Um, and then I got uh, the Division Bell re- reissue recently, um, which sounds really, really good. I, I don't understand the hate that people have there. I mean, there's one or two songs on there I could do without, and they maybe have one too many instrumentals. But, man, mm. there's some like high hopes. Yeah. And uh, and the, the sleeper on there for me is Lost for Words. That is a good one, too, that I came to like much more recently. That's about Roger Waters, right? Until somebody tells me it's not, it's Roger Waters. Yeah, I mean, you, you would tend to think so, but, you know. And he tells me to please, please go F myself, you know? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, it's. I mean, Animals is my favorite Pink Floyd record, I think. Um, I could still remember to this day the first time I heard Animals. It was, I was in a friend's car, and he was, you know, I used to get along with guys that were a couple of years older than me because they were they like better music so right <laughs> i was gravitating to those guys and i remember being in this guy's car and he put it in and i said what is this i have to have this you know and i, I immediately went out and bought it and I, I i love that album it's so unique it was unlike anything they'd done before and i mean the lyrics are just biting no pun intended since it's about that since the name's animals but i mean the yeah. lyrics are just direct and to the point they are and it's 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 weird because like at that time, like, you know, I was, I was younger, so I was just starting to get into music. And, you know, when you first start to hear about Pink Floyd, uh, you, you hear about Dark Side of the Moon, you hear about The Wall, you hear about Wish You Were Here. Nobody really brings up animals, or at least at, at, at the, the circles that I was in, you know, you didn't hear about animals as much. Well, that's so it was one, like a true surprise. Well, that's the one you find out if people are true fans or not. I guess so. You know, kind of like uh, if you're a true fan of the Black Crows, you, li- you like Three Snakes. Or but- uh, Lions. <laughs> I mean, I like lions. I do too, but most people, uh, I just, I say that to inflame uh, the uh, non-lions people. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. You know, we were talking last week about, you know, different live albums and things like that. It got me to thinking, like, what are some albums that, like, truly changed your life? Uh, I mean, right off the top of my head, uh, the first Van Halen record changed my entire life, like, significantly. Because it sent me down the Van Halen rabbit hole for right better part of a decade and that's a very well recorded album it is there's a um which i don't know how i got this in my collection because it's quite expensive now but I mean, when i was when i was a kid and first getting into van halen i found the the mobile fidelity you know the gold disc mm-hmm. version of that and i still have it but that sounds fantastic on that for that to be a debut album you know i'm sure they probably didn't have a lot of money yeah i mean it sounds it sounds amazing it holds up so, why did that change your life? I had never heard guitars like that, and I connected with it, and it made me want to play the guitar. So then I started playing the guitar, and then I quickly realized that I was not going to be the technician and uh, you know a speed demon that uh, Ed was. But what I did learn from Ed is you know how important the actual writing of the song is, and then I started writing my own. So it really like set me down this musical path of not just listening to music but actually creating my own stuff and you know and uh trying to be in bands and things like that it really it shaped a lot of what i did just from hearing that and wanting to play myself because i what i heard was so phenomenal do you still listen to it the first one yeah Yeah. what's your favorite song on it 
I'm going to shock you. Uh, my actual favorite song on that is Little Dreamer. It doesn't shock me. Why? It just doesn't. I love Are it. you trying to say it like I'm bizarre or something? No, I'm just saying like sometimes <laughs> your favorite song on the album is a little, a little off the beaten path. <laughs> uh, but a close second is I'm the one. That's a good one. That's a good one. I, I mean, I have a hard time getting past ain't talking about love. You know what it is for me with that one is I, as a serious fan of Van Halen for a while, I, you've heard that song so many times in the radio. FM radio has killed a lot of songs for me that I don't think I can ever really hear properly again just because they play them too much. Yeah, but the, man, that riff and then like they just play that with like a, a lot of veracity, we should say. Oh, yeah. I can remember being at multiple Van Halen concerts and it gets to the, you know, the hey, 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 and the whole crowd just yeah. doing that very like. When I saw them with Roth, when they got to that, they flashed the house lights on for the hey, hey, hey. And it was really cool. Like Eddie hit like an open chord and then took his hands off the guitar and had both his hands in the air doing the hey, hey, hey thing at the same time. And like they were, because I saw the last show of one of those tours. They played it in New Orleans, and we went for my bachelor party, and uh, had floor seats, and um, it was really, really cool. Yeah, that album. I mean, that's got to be a it for impact that it had on music. That's got to be a top five debut album of all time. Yeah, and it's funny, you know, like when I first got into it, like I obviously understood what Eddie Van Halen was and how important he was, but. I didn't know that that album was so universally influential till later. I just know it had a big impact on me, you know. But I guess that was for many millions of people had the same effect. Right. Yeah. They, um, man, I, for the first couple albums, they couldn't do any wrong. No, I, I, uh, I, I find something to love. Much like the Black Crows, I find something to love in all of their records. So, you know. What's your least favorite album? Of Van Halen? Yeah. I'm going to guess what it is. Are you guessing? I'll tell you if you're right. Oh, you ate one too. Yeah, you're exactly right. I go back to that one the least. It has some songs that I like very much so, like very high on my list of songs I like, but as a full album, it, it's, it's not very produced. cohesive. Terrible. But yeah, I don't like the sound on it, but it's not a very cohesive album. It's. Just, I mean, there's some great tunes on there. I like that song, Feel So Good. Black and Blue, um, man. Yeah. That's Black a and killer blue. intro. Mine All Mine is a great song, you mm-hmm. know. But, you know, just there's a couple of toss-away things on there. Not toss-away, but things that, I don't know, it's just very disjointed to me. Although I will say that that cover of Little Feet's uh, Apolitical Blues is, is really good. Sammy Hagar singing that is really good. Yeah, I had um, Greg Renoff on that wrote the Van Halen book that I sent you and did the Ted, mm-hmm. did the Ted Templeman autobiography as well. Yeah, he, he was talking about that. And, you know, Templeman didn't do that one. But Templeman, you know, did some little feet albums. And I was like, how did that happen? You know, that, that, that came on there. And I, the guy that produced it, I think was an engineer. Yeah, it was Don Landy. Yeah. Who was also an engineer on all the Van Halen albums. But I mean, little feet's one of the last bands you would think Van Halen would cover. I know, but Sammy was, I, that probably was more Sammy's influence really. And I think, I think if I'm not mistaken, he plays guitar on that track as well. I think they're both playing guitar. Yeah, I remember when that album came out. I was like twelve years old, and ironically, I was on like this like church youth trip, and I bought uh, Van Halen O U Eight One Two, and I was told our youth director, "I'm like, we're listening to this on the way home." I'm not asking you. I'm not asking you. I'm just telling. Yeah, I'm you. telling you. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'll, I'm um, laying out the itinerary for the uh, listening. This is not a choice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This I'm, I'm just you know this isn't this isn't a democracy isn't up for debate. We're listening to this. Well, what uh, what's album had a, a profound effect on you? I tell you, I mean, there's I've probably got like ten or so that I have like an emotional connection to. An album that really helped to change my musical taste and then just like really moved me was "Dirt" by Alice in Chains. Mm, fantastic. I mean, that is a hauntingly beautiful album that shows i mean some of the best harmonies they ever had uh best melodies uh it's kind of an eclectic album um just terribly sad and like the album played out like it was supposed to you know it's it's funny sometimes people say oh, if a record sells as many copies it must be you know must be good but you know a lot of pop music that's very disposable sells a lot of copies phil collins ad- phil collins sold a lot of albums per no no that's what noel gallagher's big saying is yeah that's true though but uh but a lot of these albums that stick around for such a long time that i mean they're i mean like metallica's the black album like to me the debate is over on that because it's you know 30 years later that thing has sold millions and millions of copies and it's still it still sells. Yeah. People still gravitate to it. Like, it's got to be good, you know? And I, and Alice in Chains Dirt is the same way, you know? It, oh. it's, it lasts. Well, I mean, it wasn't... <clears throat> I, I don't truly consider them a grunge band. I think had they been from, like, Minneapolis, they wouldn't be called a grunge right. band. Much more sludgy, you know, than, than a lot of other grunge bands. But the rain when I die and, you know, down in a hole... Junkhead and Dirt, that's like two of the most demented songs you're ever going to listen. I mean, Dirt, I mean, I want you to scrape my brains off the wall. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's just so, and what's so crazy is I've done a lot of reading about them. Like, Lane Staley was a goofball. Like, yeah. if you're watching these backstage videos and stuff, he was just a goofball, like to have fun. But he just had this inner demon in him. And I tell you what, if you ever want to just get real sad, go Google the last known picture of Lane Staley. You don't yeah. you don't know it's him, really. He's got to weigh like 120 pounds, and he's got glasses on, and he's like, I mean, he looks. It's it's really it's extremely sad, and uh, to think you know he just died alone in that apartment, and you know there are there's some reports that he like had lost some fingers, and yeah, I don't know if all that's true or not, but you know, and and the thing is like, after that dirt tour, they really didn't tour anymore. No, they didn't. He was in such bad shape. Amazing to me. I mean, the the last thing they really did was that unplugged. I mean, they've played many more shows with William Duvall than they ever played with Staley. And uh, yeah, that 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 album just—I mean, there was like a two-year stretch where that didn't come out of like my six-disc changer in my car. And and every song on it to me is is good. And you know, of course, you know on. Uh, Digital killed the radio star. You know, you you came on and we did Char Flies, which is made. Right. They're just like Jerry Cantrell to me is one of the most underrated people in music. Period. Whether yeah. it be like his ability to write a melody and like it's really weird. He writes a lot of melodies that have that are very minor chord based, and his harmonies. I, I mean. You start talking about like, you know, everybody says, you know, Michael Anthony's voice was essentially a fifth instrument of Van Halen. Jerry Cantrell's harmonies were as important as Lane Staley singing. You're never going to convince me otherwise. No, I, I would 100% agree that that combination of their two voices was, you know, it's, it's hard to get that 
you know, they, they were just they they were. You and I think you're absolutely right. Um, had they not been from Seattle, they wouldn't necessarily be considered a grunge band. But the funny thing about that is, most of those you know quote unquote grunge bands, really, I mean, if you in hindsight, if you listen to them, they owe a lot to like stuff that went on in the 70s you know it really is not that far off i mean soundgarden owes as much to black sabbath as anybody yeah and i mean and they weren't like secretive about it they kind of just i mean their sound was just different enough i guess to be like a new genre but it really it fits into the rock category without a problem it's not you know those guys liked all the same stuff that you know that that uh, everybody else finds to be classic you know yeah, they they have you ever read any of those books about that whole scene? Not there, a whole there's, lot. No. There's a book by Greg Prado and I forget what it's called. So it's got crunch in the title. We did a on Digital Killer Radio Star, we did this like really deep dive on grunge music and we both read that book. And like Alice in Chains was not liked by those other bands. They thought they Is that were right? they thought they were sellouts and initially they were kind of like a borderline hair metal band. And like they would open for anybody. So like, you know, you'd have bands coming through. We don't have an opening act. Like they open for poison. And I think, you know, they open for Van Halen and uh, they, you know, they were just open for anybody. And so the other bands kind of thought they were sellouts and weren't true and, and honestly didn't really like them. And I think like they had to really earn, you know, their respect. I mean, they obviously did. And, I tell you one of the, my favorite things to see is when Hart got inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. They mm. played Barracuda with Jerry Cantrell, Mike McCready, and um, Chris Cornell all on guitar. And right. If you listen to Nancy Wilson talk about them, she talks about them like they're little brothers. Like she did this really long. Inter- I encourage anybody out there listening. She did this really long interview with Dean Del Rey. Like she talks a lot about you know gear. I mean, she's a legit player. And when Jerry Cantrell comes up, she goes, oh, my little buddy. And like they talk about how like even when they were nobodies, Hart would have them over to their house late at night, and they just have these parties. And it's like, you know, Soundgarden and Alice in Chains and Nirvana and Hart all hanging out. And so they, you know, and I think they recorded some of the stuff at like Bad Animal Studios, which is mm-hmm. what Hart used. But uh, yeah, that was really, really cool. And, you know, it was at that uh, Hart VH1 Honors show where they played together for the first time on TV and uh Phil and Selmo from uh Pantera came out and sang Wood. Is that right? I have mm-hmm. to look that up. That's and, great. And they um yeah, and Duff McKagan was on bass. That's cool. No, he, no, he, Duff McKagan was on like second guitar. Um oh, okay. Yeah, they just it was just this weird thing. But you know, a lot of people don't realize Duff McKagan is from Seattle. And at one time yeah. was kind of a part of that scene when it was really getting started. Yeah, I remember finding that out you know later on you know in an interview with him or something but i you know that's they all had a, a big reverence for heart and, and then vice versa you know but um that uh that thing you mentioned though that barracuda that was on uh, satellite radio the other day that's first time i'd heard it but it was fantastic yeah just absolutely amazing chris cornell held his own you know i really like that um which I think I've mentioned to you before, but I really like that, that first Jerry Cantrell solo album, that Boggy Depot. Because I used to work in a record store when I was about 16, 17, and it was a tremendous mistake because they would allow you to buy merchandise at you know cost price and 
deducted against your paycheck. So, you know, every week I go home with like a dollar fifty because I spent my whole paycheck in the store. But, uh, you know, we used to get promos and stuff, and we got a promo in for that album, and I played the hell out of that thing. I loved that. But I, it didn't get that much attention. No, it didn't. I mean, and he had a, you know, for his some of his tours, he had an all-star band. Like, he had Robert Trujillo on bass. Sean Kenny would play drums. He had a really good, now that Degradation Trip, Volume 1 and 2, you want to get dark. I mean, I don't know of a darker album than that. And, man, I had a rough couple of years in, in the middle aughts, and I can remember listening, laying in my bed at night with all the lights off, listening to that thing top to bottom. And what's so funny is everybody, every lyric he writes, everybody thinks it's about Lane Staley. Yeah, and to a degree, I think that might be true. You know, well, you know, I, he, you know people... he, he said with that comeback album with William Duvall, uh, Black Gives Way to Blue, he said, this is me completely saying goodbye to Lane and like putting that behind me and like, I'm not going to write about it anymore. Which that's a fantastic album. I like that album a lot. I mean, lesson learned, uh, own private hell, your decision, check your brain. That version of Black Gives Way to Blue with Elton John playing the piano. Apparently, Elton John was a big Alice in Chains fan. Elton John likes a lot of music that you wouldn't think he necessarily would. But, you know, people also forget, like, Elton John suffers from the same thing that Rod Stewart does. People are mindful of his more recent work. In the beginning, Elton John was a madman. I mean, Elton John has an album, I don't know if you're familiar with it as much or because a lot of people don't seem to be but uh tumbleweed connection and it's fantastic that album i mean i, I maybe i think there's one single on it i think that's a song i'm arena but that whole album i chris robinson mentioned it once in an interview during like the new earth mud period i said well chris robinson's talking about it. i gotta check it out you know all right i'm gonna sa- i'm gonna save it on my listening tumbleweed connection it's my favorite Elton John record. I mean, it's so much great stuff on there. But people forget that. You know, they think of him singing, you know, Disney songs and, and you know, uh, can you know, Candle in the Wind uh, remakes and all that. And he really was. I mean, his first up through probably about seventy six, like so that first like six years of his career, some phenomenal stuff in there. Well, I mean, he got so coked up, he played an entire concert in a duck outfit. I mean, he made some poor musical choices moving forward and he was a victim of you know uh dated production types and things like that you know but he still is a very gifted musician i love that version he did of um i guess that's why they call it the blues with mary j blige oh he redid he redid it well i mean they they did it live a couple of times oh okay and then you know she did one with you too and like man it like completely changed the meaning of that song to me he just, I think. Oh, yeah, I think I'm going to see him in January. Have you seen him? No, I mean, you know, uh, I think his his voice has changed. You know, as a lot of singers' voices change, but he sings everything in a very low register now, and I don't, I don't really care for the way he sings anymore. But uh, I just want to be able it, to say I saw him. Right, and I get the uh, attraction of that because it is his final tour and all that, you know. Have you ever sat down and like wrote down a list of like all the people that you've seen that are in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? No, I probably should. Yeah, know? I did that one time, and I was like, "Dang, I've, I've seen a lot of people." You got a good uh, a good assortment. Oh yeah, I mean, I fr- I think it was like twenty one or twenty two different groups that I've seen that are that are in there. Are the Ramones in there? I believe so. 
I saw them one time, like an odd, odd bill, Lollapalooza, odd, odd bill. I remember that too. That was like early to mid nineties, wasn't it? It was ninety six. So it was Metallic. It went Metallica, Soundgarden, Rage Against the Machine, The Ramones, Screaming Trees, and Waylon Jennings. I went with one of my fraternity brothers and his girlfriend, and he he's from New Orleans. And his godfather was like the head of security for New Orleans Police Department special events. So we didn't have a ticket, and we he, he just told us to meet him at the gate. So he, like, shows his badge, and it's like, they're with me. And then he's like, all right, go, you know. Uh, <laughs> and so it was all day long outside in New Orleans in, like, July. You can imagine how hot it was. And I think it was Rancid that was playing, and we got up close to the to the stage. And before you knew it, Rage Against the Machine came on, and we were caught up front. Man, when I tell you it was rough getting out of there, it was rough. I'm that, sure. that was at the height of their powers in 96. But it was so disappointing. Soundgarden was terrible. Is that right? Mm-hmm. That they was were, towards the end of their run, too. Yeah, they were they were terrible. But yeah, um, got to, the Ramones were on there. I thought that was kind of kind of cool to get to, um, you know, to get to see them. I'm not really, I mean, I like some punk stuff, but I mean, they're kind of the godfathers. They are. I mean, I, I, I like some of their material. They're much better songwriters than people give them credit for. But, you know, I mean, they, I mean, uh, as a whole, it never really was my thing, you know. They have a song called The KKK Took My Baby Away Mm. that uh, the Drive By Truckers have covered on their last album. It's really, yes. yes. It's really, really good. Speaking of Drive By Truckers, I don't know if you've seen uh, our uh, our friend Pedro from Brazil has been Mm. messaging me. uh, I got him turned on to the Drive By Truckers. Oh, did you? Yeah. Yeah, so uh, he's a great guy, man. He is. It's so funny. We we uh, it was on one of our, he was joining on one of our our uh, Zoom chats, and he revealed to us he's a thoracic surgeon. <laughs> I know, and he's so nonchalant about it, you know. And if you watch his, if I've seen some of the videos of him playing music, he's really good. Yeah, I I, I would agree. He's uh, he's got a lot of talents. That man. Yeah. Oh, I tell you another album that's like really special to me, and a lot of people don't like it, and it kind of it kind of hurts my feelings. I love the Ryan Adams double album Cold Roses with the Cardinals. That's that's not uh, popular. Um. Well, like so, Chris who does Digital Kill the Ray Star with me is a huge like Ryan Adams fan. Sometimes I think he does this to me to be a contrarian, but he's like, <laughs> I, you know, he's I just don't understand why you think it's so good, you know. And I'm like, dude, listen to it. It's it's brilliant. Ron Adams is a genius. Now he needs an editor. You know, mm. he puts out way too much stuff. But like, this is going to sound weird. But like, like I said, I, I had a couple of years that I just weren't the best for me, and I wound up getting into like uh, playing uh, Major League Baseball on the Sony PlayStation. And right. and in my I, my home stereo, you just put I would put a CD in and listen to it playing. You know that, and like that, and. New Earth Mud, the second New Earth Mud album, for whatever reason, I've just put those on and play baseball for hours. And that, and when I got finally, and that was the, I think that was the last album he did before Neil came on, or one of the mm-hmm. last ones. But like seeing him live play those songs with Neil Casal, people are gonna think I'm crazy. They were a top three live band I've ever seen. They, I mean, well, you you always speak very highly of your concert experiences with them. I mean, just amazing. They played a long time, and, you know, Neil could play anything. He was a very versatile musician. Well, Eddie, I've heard Eddie Trunk mentioned several times, you know, he's from New Jersey, and Eddie Trunk mentioned several times that, like, he's a massive, was a massive metalhead. 
Like really what, in Neil? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, and like it's like they he posted a picture, like I guess they were all in an airport at the same time. It was Neil and Chris and Eddie Trunk and they like took a picture. And he's like, for those that don't, because Eddie Trunk's, you know, a big metal guy. And he's like, for those that don't know, Neil Casal is actually a real big metal head. And he goes, he even told me he's trying to get Chris Robinson into it. <laughs> well, Chris Robinson likes a lot of stuff, too. Yeah. Yeah, but I actually, speaking of Neil Casal, I just got the other day the uh, limited edition 7-inch of the last two songs that he was working on when he passed away that the rest of his, you know, band finished up. And... uh don't be surprised if uh, one shows up at your door too, David. Ah, that's I, I like it when uh, Ian Santa Claus shows up. Yeah, well, you know, I figured yeah, we need to have that, you know. So it's but, it's uh, it, it's so funny. Like I guess it's like a couple months ago, you were sending me a bunch of stuff in the mail, and I'd come home from work, and uh, my wife was going, "Oh, your boyfriend from New York sent you something else." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ian is really, really, really gracious with. Um, finding stuff and send it to people. A lot of people that listen to State of America have found that out. I told you this kind of a talk embarrasses me. The, the, <laughs> you're the Chris Kringle of podcasting. You're the Oprah Winfrey of podcasting. Here's a record for you. Here's a record for you. A box set for you. Uh, we and we, we may or may not have something to give away soon, too. Some yes. really cool stuff. So Yes. But uh, let me ask you this. Yeah. I've, been th- I've been thinking about this a lot lately. Do you think that the music that you ultimately gravitate to and love the most, is it the stuff that you heard you know, early on and that is really what sticks to you most? Are you able to you know, branch? Some people, I feel like they heard the band at a time that you know, is very memorable for them and they associate that music with that time and any derivation from that sound you know, is like blasphemy to them for that reason. I'm the complete opposite. Yeah, me too. Like... I mean, I couldn't tell you the last time like I put a po- listen to Poison, or I like, oh, I'm gonna go listen to Bon Jovi, you know, which is the stuff that you know when I was in junior high school was, you know, that was the main thing. And like, I have some like I have a core group of music friends that you know we all talk music and we're all you know we're lifers on it, and they always accuse me of liking oddball albums. Like we talked about that, like REM's New Adventures in Hi-Fi is a straight up good rock album. It is, and, and like I like one of my best friends. He's the biggest REM fan I know. He doesn't know anything after Automatic for the People. Like he doesn't know anything on those albums. He's like, I'm not going to listen to it. And I'm like, I just don't understand that. Same thing with um, my Morning Jacket. Like that, it still moves. Album was the first one I really got into, and that's just kind of a Neil Young. You know, everybody calls it Neil Young meets Leonard Skinner type music. But then they turn around and put out Z, which is a masterpiece, which is completely different. And like. I don't pigeonhole bands. Like I'll, t- I'll be honest with you, people out there are gonna think I'm crazy. The first five songs on Chinese Democracy by Guns N' Roses, I absolutely love. And then throw in Madagascar, which is later on in the track listing. Yeah, I don't just hold on to oh they have to be this way. I mean, it's like the Crows. Do we want to? Do we want them to make Shake Your Money Maker again? No, they no. had they had a clear progression of their music, and then just when you think you know they're this you know one thing, they come out and put out by your side. Right, you know, and then like, could could the Black Crows in 1992 put out Before the Frost? No, it would have gone. It, nobody would have liked it. And so, I mean, I'm all, I'm all for bands changing their sound. I mean, one of the the biggest changes that I can think of was the Cult. Have you ever heard the 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 Peace mix of Electric 
how it was originally mixed. Yeah. It's, I mean, those songs are so good and they did a complete change. And then they, you know, then they go, go and have Sonic Temple, which is a, basically a hair metal album. It's a great album. You know, I, I just, and I don't like it when people pigeonhole, like I hear so many people be like, yeah, I love Guns N' Roses, but I, don't li- I only listen to Appetite. You know, and I don't understand people that just, you know, get upset when bands don't change. I think, like, if you do that, like, it's kind of like you peaked in high school. <laughs> I mean, to me, like, if somebody says, like, well, I love Guns N' Roses, but I only listen to Appetite. Well, no, it's you love that record. You, you love don't that love album. that band. Yeah. You know, like, you're not, you can't, I don't know, it's weird to me. I, I mean, and I say this, you know, ultimately, whatever you like is whatever you like, and however you listen to music is great. It's, that's a, it's a very personal thing, and it's between you and the music. But it's just very strange to me the way some people, like, don't allow for any no. growth in the in the band, or if they do something they don't like, they feel like personally betrayed by it. I had somebody tell me one time, "Oh yeah, the Black Crows are one of my favorite bands." They didn't know anything past Southern Harmony. I mean, no, you like those two albums, you know. And I, yeah. my wife sometimes gives me a hard time because I get so upset about you know people saying they're fans of music. You know, she's like, "You take it too seriously." If you're gonna sit there and say I'm a huge Van Halen fan. And then you talk to them like they won't listen to anything with Hagar. No, you're a David Lee Roth Van Halen fan. It's kind of like you Which and I. Fine. Yeah, it's kind of like you and I talk about the Crows and Pink Floyd, or you know, I talked about Pink Floyd. Like I get everything that comes out, right? You know, and like you said, that gives you, that gives you legitimacy to criticize it. It's like the yeah, sto- it's like you... the Stones. I have everything they do. There's some albums that are horrible. Yeah, you know, but you have them. Yeah. Like, my morning jacket, I don't think the last three albums they put out, I don't think are good. I still buy them on vinyl. Of course, because you're supporting that band. It's yeah. There. And, you know, it's funny. You know, people do say that to me, too. And I don't, they don't mean it necessarily negatively. But they say, well, you take music very seriously. I do because, you know, music has saved my life on more than one occasion. And, and really, I associate things with music and things like that. Like, memories and music kind of are one in yeah. my mind. and. So songs can take me back to certain places and things, and I, it just means a lot to me. It, it, and I understand that there are people in the world that it, it doesn't affect them that same way. I feel sorry for those people. I do because they're ultimately missing out on these on these wonderful experiences. It's the music is a ride, man. Well, I read an article the other day. It was basically saying that they think they have found a gene that people have that, like, if you can listen to music and it gives you goosebumps. Yeah, I had seen something about and that. Like, too. I mean, if that's the case, I've I've got that gene. But yeah, I mean, it's important to me, and I, you know, it's I've told this story several times about meeting when I met Chris Robinson. I just said, "Your music has made the good times better and the bad times not so bad." And like that's how I view that's how I view music. And I think that that uh, you know he probably appreciated that. And any musician would appreciate to hear that because that's probably what their music does for them. I mean, yeah, I mean, somebody like him, he's a huge fan of music. Like, if he, like Jeff Dunn said when, when, when Chris met his dad, you know, Duck Dunn, like, it was just an awe of him, you know? Yeah. And, and I, I respect that. It's, that's one of the things I like about Dave Grohl. He ain't scared to say he likes somebody and geek out over it, you know? He's not. I mean, Dave Grohl takes a lot of crap, and I don't know why. I, you know, I mean, he was a fantastic drummer in Nirvana, and then he had a second, whole second career. With the Foo Fighters, it's still going. Have you seen that documentary on them? Which one, the Sonic Highways or? Uh-uh. 
Which one? It's one. It's I forget the name of it. It's it was on. I think it was on Showtime originally. It's a career thing. It goes through the whole thing of how that band came to be. It's it's top ten music documentary for me. I don't think I've seen it. I'll have to check yeah. that out. Yeah, I'm I mean, a sucker for a music documentary. Yeah, I mean Dave Grohl is just like he's a massive music fan. Like he would he would come on this. I mean it'd be great if he'd come on this podcast, but like he'd come on this <laughs> podcast and just be geeking out with us over over music. See, and those there's a lot of guys like I would just love to have the conversation with. You know, because for that reason, and it, not necessarily because he's Dave Grohl and this and that. It's just I know that guy knows a lot about music, and I like to talk about people that know what they're talking about. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or share stuff with people that take it in, and, and you know, and you know, you introduce people to me. I like introducing people to to new music. You know. And I love it when it happens to me. Like I mean, I I during the quarantine, like I got into the Cure big time. Like, pretty much bought everything I could get my hands on vinyl. It's funny. Like, somebody can be like, oh, you you got to like this band. I can't stand it when they tell me that. Just tell me what to listen to. And then, like, I'm going to listen to it on my own terms. And yeah. then, you know, and then it'll, it'll hit me. Like, I've been listening to a lot of, like, New Order lately. You know, New Order is good. Yeah, stuff like that. And, like, I just, like, I have to get to it in my in my own time. I, I'm, I'm not one of these people that's like, oh, you have to like this album. Like, I don't like the Eagles. I don't think they're good. Their music does nothing for me. You could give me a free ticket to go see the Eagles. And I said, Ian, you just take your wife. You know? <laughs> it's funny you say that because for years I, I didn't like the Eagles. And then I heard a couple of things and it kind of brought me back around. And there's some there's some things uh, of theirs now that I, I really enjoy. But I mean, it was a long time where I was like, you know, Jeff Bridges. Or like, I hate the Eagles, man. You know? Well, I just, I, I think they, I mean, I agree they're talented and they're good songwriters. It's just their music does nothing for me at all. And then now we're going to get the hate mail. I throw the Beatles in that category. Yeah, but you've said that before on here. And, you know, it, listen, it's okay not to like the Beatles. I, mean, I know that's like blasphemous to some people, but if you don't like it, you don't like it. It's fine. I mean, I was raised in a Stones household. Yeah, and it's you can like one, you can like the other, you can like both. You can like whatever you want to like because really at the end of the day, what you like and what somebody else like, it doesn't matter. If they don't match up, it really doesn't matter. You don't have to listen to their records. All right, who's you know? a, who's, who is a guilty pleasure for you? I mean, just really like out there guilty pleasure. I probably have to say Quiet Riot. It's always been a guilty pleasure of mine. Really? Yeah. I mean, you know, I don't delve too much into their more recent work, but, you know, um, I got into them big time for a while, and I still do think that they have quite a few really good songs that you know don't necessarily get the credit that they they deserve you know because they were caught up in that whole scene you know i saw them in college in a bar with like 300 people me too it was actually right around the corner from my parents house when i still lived in my parents house and it was great so that's that's like your worst guilty pleasure that i can think of off the top of my head yeah i don't know what about you i mean i don't think it was a guilty pleasure at the time but i, I mean I love the first three uh, Coldplay albums. I'm in 100% agreement with you. Their first record is a really great record. I mean, it's mellow acoustic stuff. And it's really great. And their second record was really great. And then uh, X and Y is really great. All right. I'll I'll bear my soul on something. And, and do you know what the first concert, actual first, I tell people my first concert was Def Leppard, but you know what my first real concert was? What was it? Banana Rama or something? <laughs> New Kids on the Block. 
Woo, my, you and my wife would be uh, best so friends now. I was in the seventh grade, and uh, my my late friend Eddie, who was my best friend growing up, he he had an older sister, so they were like two years older than me. So they were going to go see New Kids on the Block in Memphis. And Eddie's mom was like, you know, I'll take y'all and drop you off or whatever, but I think Eddie, uh, Eddie and David need to go with you. Like, you talk about like that Rage Against the Machine crowd being bad. This was like teenage girls going insane. And then another concert that I went to see before Def Leppard that was terrible what was, was it? it was in eighth grade and there was there was like kind of a small college near where I grew up and they would like one year they had Survivor and one year they had Journey you know they would have like one big concert a year they Did had you see White Lion or they something? had Richard Marks and I went oh I was God. in the eighth grade yeah and Man. yeah it was it was on that like when he had the song it was Hot Summer Nights you know yeah it was bad now see like I feel bad for that guy in a way because the guy knows how to write songs but he just got caught up in that his whole image and the and, and that eighties production values and all that stuff. You Do you know? know who he's married to? I I was just trying to remember it. I it's coincidentally read it the other day. I think it's Daisy Fuentes. Remember. Yes, that's who it was, yes. I knew it was someone off M T V. Yeah. Yeah, old Richard Marks. But, uh, What's our who's the most embarrassing band you've seen? See? Well, much like you, I mean, I tell people my first concert was because my first genuine concert was the Moody Blues. Um, but the first concert I ever went to, I guess not that terrible, but it was the Monkees because when I was a little kid, I was obsessed with the Monkees. Really? I watched the TV show because it was on repeats, you know, on uh, Nick at Night and things like that, you know. And you know, there's a Monkees I'm, podcast. I'm sure there they're is. They're at uh, they're at that Rock and Pod convention every year. Listen, man, they have some great songs. I know they didn't write them. But they, you know, there's some there's some great tunes in their catalog, and even some of the stuff they did try to write on their own is is all right. They kind of get a bad rap, but probably the worst concert I've ever or most embarrassing. I oh I oh I just thought of it. I just thought of it. I went and saw Avril Lavigne. That's pretty bad, Ian. Well, it was a girl I was dating at the time uh, wanted to go, sure. and I went. Did some forty yeah. one open up for him? No, unfortunately, no. But uh, the, the kicker to that was uh, I go to this really bad concert, then I come home and find out my grandmother passed away. So it was a one-two punch that day. So Avril Lavigne killed Grandma? Uh, I mean, I, I can't prove it, but if I ever get enough evidence together, uh, she's going to trial. Okay, that's what I'm going to say. <laughs> but <laughs> Yeah, oh, man. Avril Lavigne, I mean, it could be worse. She actually, I will give I give her credit from what I remember. I went in there like almost kicking and screaming, and she put an effort in. She had a live band. She played guitar. Like she tried. You know what I mean? She wasn't. It wasn't as nonsensical as I thought it was going to be. So that's but the worst. Still, that's the worst thing you've seen, Law. Uh, also, at the fault of the same girl, which is probably why we stopped dating not that long afterwards. Um, I saw Bowling for Soup at the college campus that I was going to at the time, oh. and they were. Terrible. I remember them. Yeah, man, we used to get the best concerts in college that were free that the that Ole Miss paid for. We got uh, the Almond Brothers. Uh, we got BB King. Uh, I tell you, one that like blew me away was Run DMC. And uh, we had like Big Head Todd and the Monsters, Better Than Ezra. Let's see, uh, Lenny Kravitz when he was at the height of his popularity. Uh, P Funk. 
Parliament Ooh, Funkadelic. Nice. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what is this? The uh, the movie PCU. Yeah. Uh, what what. <laughs> A lot of pot being smoked at Ole Miss. Uh, widespread panning. And we had some really, really good free concerts. I tell you, though, legitimately one of the best concerts I've ever seen was Big Head Todd and the Monsters. I've heard in concert they are quite good. I couldn't – I honestly couldn't t- identify a song of theirs with a gun to my head. I don't uh, – I don't – I'm not familiar with them in the least. I'll send you some. I tell you what, I'll pick a Big Head Todd song for play out. Okay, that's fine, man. And I'm not opposed to listening to them. It's just one of those bands that just passed me by, you know? They're huge in Colorado. Like, they sell out Red Rocks. They were they were fairly big here for a time, because I remember the radio station that I used to listen to, which was uh, based out of Connecticut. always used to talk about them and them playing in that area. And they were, they were big. I don't know how I missed them, but I did. Yeah, they, um, they were big. They did an entire album of uh, Robert Johnson covers. That's cool. Kind of like uh, Eric Clapton did. I've been listening to a ton of Eric Clapton lately. The live album with Derek Trucks. Yeah, I have that one. I, I need to go revisit Eric Clapton a little bit because, uh, you know, I've heard bits and pieces here and there. And uh, again, and uh, you know, I haven't listened to a lot of that stuff in a while. But I need to break out like Derek and the Dominoes and, you know, the Blind Faith and his first couple of solo records, you know. Oh, so, all right. This is, this is cool. This has a tie into the Crows. I interviewed Cody Dickinson of the North Mississippi All-Stars. Obviously, his father is just a legendary producer. I mean, you know, played on Bob Dylan records. He's playing the piano on Wild Horses by the Stones. Anyway, so he was employed. He was a house musician at this um, studio in Miami. And so Cody was telling, because he's from, they're from like North Mississippi or Memphis. I can't remember. And uh, anyway, he... um, I guess he was homesick and he just didn't like being a mus- you know, a studio musician down there. And so he goes, he got some great advice. This guy, it's Cody's telling me this, this guy was like, you know, Jim, you need to go back to Memphis and just do your own thing and, and, and build it up from there. I said, that's pretty good advice. He goes, yeah, it's Dwayne Allman told him. <laughs> I was like, you know, if, if you watch the making of that, you know, when they went to Muscle Shoals and, and recorded Brown Sugar and Wild Horses, you know, it's his dad playing, and then when they hear it back for the first time, it's his dad and Keith Richards sitting together on a couch. Yeah, and, and Keith is wearing those snakeskin boots that are all beat up. With the snake heads yeah. on them. Yeah, you yeah. know. And then, you know, when uh, he played on that uh, Bob Dylan's, I think it was Time Out of Mind, you know, kind of like Dylan's comeback album. And then mm-hmm. if you read Keith Richards' book, the opening story, at the, the book involves Jim Dickinson telling him, don't take a plane from Memphis to Dallas. You need to drive through the Arkansas Delta. And they get pulled over with all these drugs. But yeah, they, I mean, <laughs> you know, and Jim Dickinson, he did some big star albums. He did some replacements albums. Yeah, he was really, really cool. It's so funny, like, when you talk to Cody about his dad, his dad, Cody just eyes light up. You know, they're so yeah, proud I of mean, him. I, how could you not be? And I'm sure he was quite proud of them. They achieved a lot. I mean, Luther Dickinson is a fantastic guitar player, fantastic songwriter. Well, here's what people don't know. Cody is an amazing guitar player. Yeah. I mean, one time when I went to see the All-Stars here, uh, Cody opened up for the All-Stars uh, <laughs> on, on guitar. I mean, and like he finger picks, and I mean, he's not just up strumming, you know, G, C, and D. What was the other band I saw that, like, somebody in the band opened for themselves? I can't remember what that was. I know I've seen that before. I always thought that was very interesting. Has Warren Haynes ever done that? I don't know. I wish I could remember what that was. Like, they came out and did an acoustic bit, and they left and came out, and it was the full band. Well, uh... Well, before we, we bring this thing home, I do want to circle back to something that you uh, mentioned before. Uh, mm-hmm. You liked 
oddball albums. Mm-hmm. So what is what are some of the? Because I I feel that I fall into that category too. What are some of the albums that you absolutely love that are more universally disliked? Uh, the Motley Crue self-titled album with John Karabi. Good one. Ryan Adams' Cold Roses. I mean, I get some stink from that. I really like that Dog Eat Dog album from Warrant. I mm-hmm. mean, there's some like Queen-type songs on there, Bitter Pill and stuff like that. I like Skid Row's third album. I like Pink Subhuman F- Race, right? The yeah. one that Bob Rock did. Yeah, I like yeah. Pink Floyd's uh, Division Bell. I like uh, My Morning Jacket's At Dawn. Those are some just off the off the top of my head. What what are some? I know like yours is pretty much everybody. <laughs> I mean, you like you like you like Van Halen three. Well, yeah, that would be the top of my list. I don't care what anybody says. I'll always like that record. Uh, but uh, that's a personal thing on that one. But I know people always think that I do that, or people that like that do it to be the oddball out or to be like too cool or something. But no, I just happen to like, like for example, Stone Temple Pilots. My favorite record of theirs is a Tiny Music. Oh, that's a I good album. Think. But I think they got ignored more, you know. And um, I really liked, speaking of Stone Temple Pilots, I really liked that talk show record that they did, which was essentially Stone Temple Pilots with... Um, Chester Bennington? No, it was a different... Uh, this was in between Tiny Music and Number 4, when they split up for a little while there. I can't remember who the singer was, but I liked that record, and nobody liked it, you know. Uh, things like that. I'm trying to think if there's any others. I mean, you know, I did a whole episode on this one on on my other podcast, Classic Wax. I did it with you actually, but Metallica's Load. Yeah, you know, nobody likes that. Or I, it's it's funny. Everybody likes it, and nobody likes it at the same time. It's a very odd record. Oh, the uh, you could probably relate to this one. I, if I'm not mistaken, Standing on the Shoulder of Giants by Oasis wasn't very well received. No, it it's really good, and Dig Out Your Soul is really good. That you know, record. I think has become my favorite Oasis album. Is I mean, Dig Out Your Soul. Don't don't sleep on that one, people. No, that was I put it on one day on a whim because it's like I oh, I don't know this one that well, and I played it and I I couldn't stop playing it. That thing is great. Bag it up to be where there's life. Uh, get yeah. off your high horse, lady. You could definitely tell which were the Noel songs on there because his solo albums sound very much like several of those songs. Yeah, it started to have that. I, I know you're not a fan, but it started to have that uh, very Beatles esque situation where you could tell the John songs and the Paul songs from each other. You know, they just kind of got their own more distinctive styles, really. Man, I saw Noel Gallagher a couple years ago, and good grief, was that a great concert. His encore was Go Let It Out, but he played it on acoustic guitar. Yes, I've heard that. I've heard a version like that, yeah. I hear uh, Oasis is putting it back together. Well, I hear he said he's going to record an Oasis album without Liam. Really? And what it is, it's a bunch of demos that he found, and he says he's going to record them. I saw them, I saw them one time, man. It was an amazing show. Hottest show I've ever been to in my life, but uh, it was an amazing show. It was, in, it was on the uh, what was the, it was on the Heathen Chemistry Tour. See, I saw them, I saw them on the Brotherly Love Tour with the Black oh, yeah. Crows. So that was, that was pretty much around the Standing on the Shoulder of Giants Tour. There was a ton of people there for. I must have been sitting in the Oasis section or something because there was a ton of people there for Oasis. Most but. of them were probably Brit- like the show I went to. I swear half the crowd was from England. Yeah, they were great though. I mean, they really performed great. The only thing I didn't care for too much, and I don't know how regular of a thing this was, but like when Liam is not singing, he kind of just like stands there like a hump. He's got like issues. He yeah, but he doesn't like you know. Like when in, I saw him, he would, like when I saw him, he would just stand there and put like the tambourine on top of his head. 
Yeah, like if he if it was a Noel song, he wasn't singing. Like he's an odd in, man. In in my opinion, if Liam Gallagher was not in Oasis, they'd still be one of my favorite bands. I'm an I'm a Noel Gallagher nut. Yeah, I think I mean I think he's the uh, the true talent of the pair. You know, I mean Liam Liam's a great singer and everything, and he's he's put together some 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 decent songs. But I mean, really, Noel Gallagher is the is the brains behind that whole thing. Well, Ian, I think this is probably going to wrap it up. And since uh, you picked the playout music last time, mm-hmm. I'm going to pick it this time. Okay, man. And I want to play us out with Big Head Todd and the Monsters version of the Led Zeppelin classic Tangerine. All right. Sounds good to me, man. And so uh, that will be it. Take care, everybody, and we'll see you again in a week.